0: to JAT Chat, presented by the Journal of Athletic Training, the official journal of the National Athletic Trainers Association. I'm Dr. Shelby Bias, an assistant professor in the Department of Exercise and Sports Science at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and the co-host of JAT Chat with Dr. Kara Radzak. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Drs. Aaron Reifstek and Dr. J.D. DeFries. Dr. Reifstek is an associate professor in the Department of Kinesiology at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. And Dr. DeFries is a teaching associate professor in the Department of Exercise and Sport Science at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and they are the co-authors of "Call It an Evolution: Promoting Student-Athlete Well-Being During the Transition from Collegiate Sport." So, thank you both so much for joining me today. All Great right. To you. Yeah, so we can we can just jump right in here. So I, I'm gonna start off with a very broad question for our listeners. Um, what prompted the development of this brief review current clinical concepts manuscript on student athlete transition?
1: Yeah, um i I can talk briefly. So so we sort of had been doing work in this space separately uh for, for probably five years or so, and, and we kind of connected. Uh, kind of at the height uh, of the pandemic, uh, during during lockdown, and, and uh, Aaron had reached out and suggested that maybe we chat. Uh, uh, pun not intended uh, with the name of the show, um, and and we realized that we really were doing a lot of similar work in some of the same populations of, of college student athletes transitioning out of sports, and uh, subsequently did some work uh, and have done are still doing some projects together with some collaborators. But we also when when the call came out for this special issue there was just an interest in, in us kind of telling a, a little bit more of a narrative story that was clinically or practically relevant with kind of the research that, that we had. So uh, Aaron, I don't know if you want to add some other things.
2: No, I think that's a good uh, summary of how kind of our partnership came to be. Um, I think JD mentioned COVID. I think generally COVID um, gave us some time to uh, think about uh, and reflect on our work and and where we've been and where we're going. And um, certainly uh, the various disparities that exist in society too, even beyond the scope of the work that we do. Um, And that along with kind of the growing focus on athlete health and well-being in the past couple of years that I think was starting before that, but then, you know, has picked up even more so. um, I think just gave us time to to reflect on this. And like JD said, the narrative piece was a, a good way to go about telling some of that story Um, that we haven't had a chance to do in in other formats.
0: Yeah, and I I absolutely loved uh, reading this article. And one of the things that really stuck out to me when I was reading it was at the conclusion of the paper, you all ended with a quote uh, by Serena Williams. And she states that she didn't like the word retirement, but preferred to use the word transition to describe this evolution away from tennis. And even in the title of like your paper, you all use this idea of evolution. Can uh, either of you just kind of touch on the nuances between potentially framing retirement versus transition for for student athletes and why that may be impactful?
2: Yeah, so um, well, I think any time that you can quote the goat, Serena, in a paper, you should. Um, but really, I really appreciated her quote because for one, uh, retirement seems to indicate kind of a discrete event. Um, you know, you're an athlete, now you're not. Um, But as we talk about in the paper, it's really more of a process that folks move through over time. And I think also that term also has kind of a binary nuance to it, um, which hints at some of the way that outcomes have been viewed as being binary, either good or bad outcomes through retirement, um, rather than the continuum of experiences that people actually have. Um, and I, I think the reason I really liked what Serena said, calling it an evolution, is that um, kind of implies a more positive, kind of strengths based uh, approach that focuses on kind of that continued progression um, and development and growth that occurs. Um, that the, the sport's not the end of it, right?
0: Yeah, I think sometimes we just automatically go, you, you're an athlete or you're not an athlete or you, you're playing sport or you're not playing sport. And it's much more complex than uh, just that binary outcome of yes or no in this case, for sure. Dr. DeFries, you have any other additional thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the things that Aaron mentioned kind of mirror the history of the research in the space, right? Uh, re- really, research on athlete transition has really only been going on for about 30 years. And I would even say the first ten years were sort of just more thinking about how it may or may not be different from other workplace-based transitions, right? Some for some sport is work, for some sport is leisure or a major amateur activity. Uh, but it, but it's really been in the last ten that this work has really thought about, oh, this is a transition experience. It's a process rather than a, a discrete event. And that there are a lot of potential areas that it touches, right? It, it touches physical functioning, social functioning, uh, mental functioning. And um, in a case, especially for student athletes, uh, but but even for professional athletes who retire at relatively younger ages, according to the general population, it's an occupational transition. What, what are we going to do after? What are we going to pursue next? A- and even... Um, for a very small percentage, I know we're talking about collegiate athletes, but but even professional athletes that are maybe independently wealthy, they still might want to do things with their life uh, after they they play. Speaking of people that are independently wealthy, right, Serena, Serena Williams, right, there's things that she wants to do with her life, right, uh, as she evolves or transitions out of the sport.
0: Yeah, and I, and I definitely agree. Whenever you uh, get a chance to bring be able to talk about the GOAT in a podcast, you should always do that, uh, hence my question. Uh, J.D., you bring up a really great point that it's not just collegiate athletes, but when we can think about this existing in professional athletes as well. And, and many of the settings that athletic trainers may be, be working in, uh, potentially military populations and uh, having that level of athletic identity. Um, so definitely something that as sports medicine providers, we should be cognizant of. So along those lines, um, what are potentially some of the consequences if we don't start to really consider um, optimizing uh, this student-athlete transition, this professional-athlete transition um, a- after they finish sport or their
1: career? They, they can be broad and kind of far-reaching, and they're not really uh, one one group or one experience for everyone. Uh, but, but again, those kind of four buckets are what we often look at. Um, mental functioning, right? Think things like depression, anxiety, but more positive outcomes, right? Like resilience or enjoyment. Uh, social functioning, support systems, conflict, negative social interactions, physical functioning, right? Health-related quality of life, movement, uh, lifespan, ability, or, or, or maybe impaired function. And then a lot of things that might impact occupational functioning, um, such as athletic identity. Um, Aaron, I know identity is something that you focused a lot of your work on.
2: Identity crisis is the way that some athletes have described what it's like to transition out of their athletic career, trying to figure out who am I now that I'm no longer an athlete. And um, I know in some of the programming that we've done uh, with uh, graduating student athletes, um, they have commented to us, well, this is the first time anyone has asked me who I am besides being a softball player. Right. So that's a really profound thing to be reflecting on when you're 22 years old. So certainly there's that identity piece. Uh, a lot of our work has focused on more of the the physical health-related quality of life, um, which goes hand-in-hand with the mental health. Um, so decrease physical activity without dietary adjustments, um, that obviously has some impact for metabolic concerns, but also just kind of general self-presentation, um, body image concerns around how your body is changing, um, in terms of its fitness, its function, its appearance. Um, and then, you know, this is a space of athletic training the long-term impact of injuries, um, and some of the functional limitations that can come with that. Um, and also just sort of like a broader mindset around that, um, with athletics, I think, um, there's often sort of this, uh, mantra of sacrificing your, uh, physical health mental health that uh, in for the sake of uh performance and kind of deprioritizing that um and so that uh can change as you're transitioning out um where maybe those priorities need to shift
1: another thing that that's sometimes uh, again this, this isn't a group that's a monolith right there's a lot of differences individual differences but but structural changes right uh whether it's collegiate athletes or professional athletes having a a very structured kind of lifestyle and and work training school uh, often not totally dictated by them. Right. And there, there's some negatives to that. Uh, but, uh, often athletes report when they transition out of sport that they kind of struggle how to, how to fill the time or how to, how to structure their own life when it is entirely then autonomous on themselves, how to reintegrate in interpersonal relationships or with family relationships again those things can also go perfectly well uh but but sometimes those are things um that, that can 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 be a struggle again we we know that student athletes perhaps might work more than 20 hours a week at their sport right uh, but uh wh- whether it's 20 hours or more what do they do with that time right when that is not there um and, it, and it's hard for most people in a non-sport-based workforce to exercise for 10, 15, 20 hours a week, right? Like, and then do they want to exercise a lot of errands work? How do they get physical activity? Can they transition exercise from either their either their career or major endeavor to kind of leisure activity?
0: So I'm hearing a lot of uh, physical, emotional, social consequences that can all occur as a result of uh, not effectively preparing athletes to be able to transition out of their sport. Um, So I I think probably the next step to on a lot of the our listeners mind is what do we do about it? And you all put a a beautiful infographic in this uh, manuscript that I, I absolutely loved. Um, can you all just kind of walk us through what some of the recommendations you all are have provided specifically for for sports medicine providers to help facilitate this transition out of sport
2: A couple of different recommendations we had in there um for me I think one of the ones that really stands out that I've been focusing on a lot uh recently is sort of providing transition guidance to athletes as they're transitioning out in terms of, navigating their health outside of that embedded healthcare system. Um, so I was speaking about my work at at a power five school uh, a couple of years back. And um, I talked to one of the women's soccer players and she said to me, well, I have no idea how to make an appointment to see a doctor. Like that's all been done in house here for me. All my healthcare has been, uh, you know, taken care of within athletics. And Um, I don't think she's alone in uh, that experience. I think J.D. can also speak to um, some of the NFL uh, players' experience as well with the work that they do over at Chapel Hill. Um, But so that is like just a big shift in sort of the structure and um, the resources that are provided to now having to navigate that on your own. Um, And so one of the big recommendations is to be able to find ways to extend Um, some of the current policies and and resources to at least be able to provide some guidance to athletes to understand that uh, time is limited, finances are limited in athletic departments, but um, most will complete some kind of exit interview with somebody. So can that be with somebody in the sports medicine staff? Um, Can there be some kind of screening? Um, And then sort of directing them to the to the resources that they might want to touch base on um, whether that's nutrition, whether that's um, physical training, whether that is sports psychology um, and navigating sort of the mental piece of it. Um, but that sort of thinking more on a policy level um, is is something that I've been passionate about more recently.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think some of that um, clinical education, psychoeducation, just kind of personal health education, it can absolutely be more efficient right, for a clinician to make the appointment or to put the records in the EMR and, and to kind of shield the student athlete from that. But maybe as they matriculate a little bit farther in their program, explaining how and why some of this stuff is done and, and explaining like, hey, if you're going to want these records later, here's who owns them. Here's how to access the EMR, right? Like here here's how to do some of those things. Um, a, a reasonable model is I know in, um, you know, clinical sports psychologists at, at, at any spot, but especially working with student athletes often have, an exit out of treatment, right? And part of the exit out of treatment plan is where are you going next? Are you still going to want services? Even if you don't, let's talk about how you could access them if you start to have mental health concerns or or want to use proactive services. And so and it's not that clinicians don't do this, but they have a lot of athletes to work with. Some of them may or may not be as interested in this as others. Um, but it it becomes a pretty um blunt reality uh to navigate the medical system for any of us um, w- without kind of all, all the records and medical histories that, that might, uh, be relevant to student athletes.
0: Yeah. And, and those are just some excellent, tangible, like recommendations that I think a lot of athletic trainers can t- start to implement today, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, I feel like we could talk about this topic for a very long time, uh, but to, to start to wrap it up, um, Uh, Potentially, can each of you individually give me what you consider to be a take-home point? What's the one thing that you want to make sure our listeners get um, from this podcast and and from reading the the manuscript?
1: Yeah, and I'll even say it's it's maybe a little bit beyond this specific paper, but sports medicine clinicians, sports psychology practitioners, the holistic medical team for student-athletes are just so important athlete transition, whether hopefully you already know that. And if you don't, uh, we have data that maybe we don't talk about in this paper that shows how important you all are. Um, you They disclose information to you. They're willing to talk about these things. And in many cases, I think probably you're all aware that there are barriers you have to help them once they leave. Right. And, and so I think hopefully this paper comes off as as that like a a proactive thing, but, but certainly I, I wouldn't want anyone to read it to, to say that we think there are, there are problems with the providers. That's not in any way what we think. We actually think the providers do good and can do so much more good if we can maybe help with some of the structures around them.
2: I think, you know, athletic training has, uh, really been embracing that holistic approach as, as JD mentioned. And so I think in doing that, one of the conversations that um, I've had with uh, uh, one of my athletic training colleagues here, works in college athletics, um, came to this idea of, okay, then we should probably broaden our focus from just return to play, but also return to healthy living. And um, so what does that look like on a day-to-day basis as we're treating um, student-athletes, but also then um, as they're transitioning out, how do we ensure that that they're transitioning into, um, a healthy lifestyle that, um, will foster that holistic well-being long-term.
1: Yeah. And I, I know you kind of asked for one take home, but I, but I will say one other thing too, um, this is a critical, critical, critical time for athletes, right? The, The transition process. And I think the other thing that we kind of see in some of our data is that they don't think other people understand that. And they don't think other people can really help them process that. Um, in many cases, they work with clinicians that do help them, uh, but at least at first, I think they kind of feel a little bit alone and that they're dealing with an experience that that others can't understand. And, and there's probably some truth to that. Um, but there are phenomenal providers, hopefully, who are listening to this that understand that that's probably not the case. But but how to have that conversation, right? And how to get get the get the ball rolling, so to speak, so that, that, that athletes transitioning out can utilize resources that are there to help them.
0: So communication, broadening our scope of thinking more than just sport, but thinking about life and the, the long-term consequences of of sport on, on our, our athletes is going to be a huge, huge thing here. What it sounds like, um, Aaron and JD, thank you both so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure Um, This article is available free of charge by the Journal of Athletic Training, and I highly recommend everyone go and download this manuscript in the current special issue of the Journal of Athletic Training. So again, thank you all so much, and we will see you next time.